0: Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet, the go-to podcast for parents with multiple kids, especially those with twins, triplets, or more, who are navigating the maze of modern family life and personal finance. Whether you're overwhelmed by education or retirement planning, parenting dilemmas, career transitions, or trying to define your purpose and plan, we're here to guide you with empathy, encouragement and expertise. Hosted by Paul Fenner, founder of Tama Capital, a certified financial planner and parent to four kids, including a set of triplets, our podcast is your ally in the quest for financial peace of mind, proving that money matters, but family comes first. Subscribe now and join our community of empowered parents at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of TAMA may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What does comprehensive financial planning even mean? At TAMA Capital, it means a family office where lifestyle planning, such as retirement, college, portfolio management, tax prep, and planning, all are under one umbrella. But it goes beyond numbers. We focus as much on the emotional side of financial planning as we do on the financial side. We get you. We understand your challenges of building a family, business, or career, and a healthy life. We are devoted to wealth planning for families like yours because we are you. Learn how our family can help your family by visiting TamaCapital.com.
1: How many life transitions have you been through and more importantly, what did you learn about yourself going through them? Bruce Feiler is the author of seven New York Times bestsellers and an avid collector and analyzer of life stories. I've been interested in Bruce's work for many years. It's actually how this podcast kind of came to be because the focus is on life transitions. And Bruce literally wrote the book, Life is in the Transitions, Mastering Change at Any Age. This conversation goes deep into his book and it was work. We highlight the term lifequakes that Bruce introduces, which describes these massive disruptions that can last up to five years within our lives. It's astounding to me to learn that the average person, according to Bruce, goes through three to five lifequakes spending nearly half of their lives in transition. From our discussion, I hope that you take away a better way to understand how these life transitions can help us grow and how they uniquely shape our lives by helping us to identify our purpose and, as always, aligning our actions with our values. Please enjoy my conversation with Bruce Feiler. Well, Bruce, I think that the best place to start is how I I think I first discovered your work was was through a networking group of mine through other financial advisors. But I've been doing this show now for about two and a half years. And for whatever reason, the theme of it has been transitions. And so when I got a hold of your book, Life is in the transitions, I'm like, sooner or later I'm gonna hound Bruce enough to get him on the show to talk about this. And and here we go. Uh, well, thank you. I'm delighted to know that it's reverberating. And I think, you
2: know, we'll, we'll get into this and, you know, pretty much wherever you want to go, I'll follow. But I will say, you know, this work I've been doing, when I set out on this particular project now, six years ago, I wasn't looking for transitions. I mean, transitions was sort of not a word that was in my mind. The idea of transitions was not, uh, you know, I didn't feel was in the culture. But when I went out, And what I've been doing, as you know, uh, for those of you not, you know, familiar with the story, is I have spent the last six years collecting and analyzing hundreds of life stories of Americans of all ages, all walks of life, you know, who lost homes and lost limbs and changed careers and changed religions and got out of bad marriages and got sober. All 50 states, I mean, all income levels, you, you name it. And... What I was looking for was like, how do people kind of adjust their life story when something disruptive happens to them? And the the number one idea that emerged over and over again was transition, right? That this is kind of a fundamental kind of human activity that we go through. And so when I finished the first round of these interviews back in 2019 and early 2020, I was sort of wandering around my home in Brooklyn saying, why is no one talking about transitions? Why has there not been a major book on this in forty years? And then the pandemic happened, and lo and behold, the entire planet was in a life transition uh, at the same time. And and suddenly, I had the right idea uh, at the right moment.
1: Yeah, I think the the I I find this term I often say over and over to the families I work with, um, at, at my firm Tama, to my own family, to my own friends, is that we. Completely underestimate the amount of life transitions that we go through, both big and small. And I know that you're gonna we're gonna talk about these things, um, disruptors and life quakes that you talk about in the book. Um, but I think people think of a of a transition as maybe like some of the bigger things, like getting married, having you know kids, changing a job, and actually that's the title, like that's the focus of of your new book that that just came out, the search that i I, I want to get to at the very end of our conversation um, is how do we how do we anticipate these things and how do we how do we get good at at not i don't want to say managing them or getting through them because I think in the in reading your work, we have to be somewhat uh, accepting of these transitions and not try to see them as 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 negative most of the time um but to really embrace it but when you're in the in the heart of 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 a job loss if you will you know it's it's easy for me to tell somebody oh don't worry it that you you're going to get through this and it's going to be better than you than you had it before i mean going through that personally years ago um you know that's not what i wanted to hear but somehow made it through
2: So I, there's a lot here and let's unpack it um, a little bit here and let's, let's start with, uh, with some definitions. I think it might be constructive um, at at this point in this conversation, right? So, and let me just say that in general, the reaction to my work, and that is, you know, the book that we're talking about now, Life is in the Transitions, my new book, The Search, I have a TED Talk on Mastering Life Transitions. I teach a TED course on how to navigate life transitions. I would say that the general reaction to my book, and this is a technical scientific term is <laughs> like like you've pu- you've put you've maybe you, first of all, you've validated my what I'm experiencing, and then you've put language to what I'm feeling, right my wife likes to say um of me that I have hard knowledge about soft things so let's let's talk about the soft things and then let's put hard names on them because I think it might be helpful here, so I want to draw a distinction between um the transition is the solution, but it is not the problem. So what what you said was interesting, why right? people feel like they're going through a lot of transitions. That's right. Um, but um that is not the 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 first thing that happened or the antecedent, right? So the antecedent is the disruption, right? The chaos, the pandemic, the tornado, the diagnosis, the downsizing, you know, whatever it might be. So so let's. Let's, let's step back here. Okay. So um what is what is the, one of the top three things I've learned from collecting and analyzing these life stories. Number one, that the linear life is dead. So the linear life is that anybody over a certain age, right? Let's just say 40 plus, those of us 40 plus all grew up in an era when we were led to believe that life was going to follow a linear progression. OK, and, uh, you know, the major milestones were going to occur uh, around birthdays that end in zero. OK, and so the original idea of, of, of passages, which goes back to the 1970s, the famous book by Gail Sheehy was everyone does the same thing in their 20s, the same thing in their 30s. And everyone has a midlife crisis um, at 40. Well, that's just total bunk. I mean, just take the pandemic, for example. If you were between 38 and 44, well, you were in a quote unquote midlife crisis. But if you were between fifty-eight and sixty-four, you were in a crisis. Or in the case of my own children, who were fifteen at the time, you were in a crisis. So these events, they don't happen on linear progressions that you you read in the you know in a in a college psych one hundred and one textbook. That that's just not how life is lived. Instead, life is is nonlinear, and these these disruptions occur whenever they occur, uh, and their pace is quickening. Okay, so. Again, the disruption is not the transition. So, what is the disruption? So, I think we can break them down. So, my data show that we have we go through one what I call a disruptor every twelve to eighteen months. Okay, that's more often than many people see a dentist. Now, those, as you say, can be small, like uh, you know, a fender bender, right, or a um, you know, or, 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 or a you know, a, a tree goes through the, the roof, or They can be big, like losing a loved one or getting a cancer diagnosis or or anything like that. And most of those, and I think this was the spirit of what you were saying at the outset of that question, was most of those we handle pretty well and we get through them relatively efficiently. But one in 10 of them become massive. And either the event is massive or what really happens is that they tend to clump together right? So just when grandma needs cataract surgery, you need a new car and your child has an anxiety disorder. So that is a, collect, a collection of otherwise small events that now become a massive event. And so what are these events? I call them lifequakes. So the lifequake, and we're going to go through three to five of them in the course of our lives. And here, I think, is the signature piece of data from that work, is that their average length is five years. So a That's lifequake, how long averages five years. The the time it takes to get through it to the other side, to go through the phases, which we're going to talk about, um, uh, is five years. So you do three to five in a lifetime.
1: uh, It's about half your life. Six
2: years. That's half your life. So you're spending half your life in a lifequake. So the lifequake is what I'm calling here the problem. But the thing about even that language is problematic because we've been talking about mostly unpleasant events. Okay. Right. A tornado, a natural disaster, a downsizing—you lose your job. You know, whatever it might—a pandemic. But almost half of them, forty-three percent, or those are involuntary. Are voluntary, right? So, what's an involuntary lifequake? Right, your, child, your, your spouse cheats on you. But what? What's a voluntary lifequake? You cheat on your spouse, right? Right. <laughs> so. The, the, <laughs> The, the math you know is there it happens half the time um so or you decide to leave right or i mean i'm a, i'm a parent of identical twins when they were born 18 yeah. and a half years ago it was a joyful event it was a lifequake i mean like everything about it changed right so some of these lifequakes are joyful voluntary things we choose uh, go through. I'm going to leave my company and I'm going to start a different company, right? I'm going to stop, you know, you know, kind of chasing money and, and start giving back, or, or you know, or run for political office or whatever it might be. So the lifequake is the triggering event, and I think the way to think about it is, is the quake puts us on our heels. Now we're talking about the transition. The transition is the solution to the lifequake. So if the lifequake puts us on our heels, the transition puts us on our toes. It's when we begin to take agency, take control of the situation and begin. That's why a lifequake can be a moment for growth and renewal. It's the transition that is the mechanism for achieving that.
1: So I just, that that like just caught my ear big time was, it's the it's the life quake that's the trigger. The transition is the solution. Bingo. I don't think anybody thinks of a transition as a solution. They probably have right. they probably think of it as the transition is the problem.
2: Correct. Right. The transition is the human mechanism for addressing change. Okay. That's why the subtitle of this book is Mastering Change at Any Age, right? So the point is. The transit. I mean, I- I'll tell you what I'm in right now. I just became an empty nester two weeks ago. So yeah. I I'm, I'm
1: I wanted to get into this because and I'm glad you brought that up. Just real quick, let me set the stage uh for those of the you of those of our listening audience that may not know know you that well, you have a set of twin girls. Mostly anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I have a set of of triplets plus one. Oh. And so this this show has been geared towards families, parents that are struggling trying to juggle the financial and emotional priorities in their lives because that's what that's really what I do as a financial advisor and why I'd like to have people on the show such as you Bruce that can talk to these things because I know I have several families right now that I work with going through this transition as mm-hmm. their kids go off to college for the first time and it is hard
2: <laughs> it's hard on a lot of levels and one of the actually interesting things about it now that I'm in the middle of it, is that it's a transition for both parties at the same time. Okay,
1: so it's the transition for the children, and in the case of multiples, how old are your triplets? My triplets will be thirteen in December, and my plus one right. will be eleven in three weeks.
2: Um, the um, so three million people, you know, turn to eighteen this year, right? And 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 about half of them will go off to college, go off to some higher education, and all of them are separating from their parents but the multiples are all also separating in my case from each other and in your case from one another when when you get there and so there is another level of it for multiples going through this but also the parents are separating from the children so it's a it's a it's a double or in the case of a, a you know it's <laughs> a triple, tangled web. <laughs> in the case of tri- trips you know a quadruple um and you could continue to do the math um it's a simultaneous transitions uh and that's one of the things actually that's interesting about, but let me just go back to it okay so i'm I'm an empty nester so I, I said we were talking about this, so let's just do it for a second there are three one of the things about transitions that's hard for people to understand is the way that they work right so let's just go back to what you said the involuntary the 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 original trigger is the life quake. People tend to do one of two things when they get in the life either. They make a 212-item to-do list and say, I'm going to get through it on the weekend, and I'm going to be better than anybody else, and I'm going to be perfect again on Monday morning, and let's go. We We can't stop or sleep or breathe or anything else. The other set of people lie in a fetal position under the covers with a cat and say, I'm never going to get through it, right? And the truth is that neither is true, because if you look at enough of these, certain patterns become clear. So the first pattern is that transitions have three phases. The long goodbye, where you acknowledge that you're in a transition and, and mark the fact that the old life is not coming back. The messy middle, where you shed certain habits and uh, begin other habits and experiment with new ways of living. And then what I call the new beginning, when you unveil your new self. Now, these, these do not happen in order because life is nonlinear. Some people start at the beginning and come back to the goodbye. I mean, we can get into all that if you want. But that's the fundamental structure that all of them have. Now let's talk about going off to college. What is it that children are doing? First, that they're accepting that, I mean, my kids the night before they went to college, you know, I don't don't want my childhood to be over. I'm not ready. And we're like, you're ready. You're ready. Get out the car. You know, bye. We're going home. So, um, uh. You mark it with occasions, right? There's usually a big ceremony. I just gave a speech at one of these at Middle Tennessee State where- Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) All 3,200 members of the incoming class were required to read, life is in the transition. So what is that? That's saying, that's accepting that your childhood's not coming back. That's going through a ceremony. Uh, That's the long goodbye. Then the, the messy middle. What are you doing? You're shedding certain habits. Oh, right. Um, uh, someone else is not gonna make my bed for me, or someone else is not gonna do my laundry, like, oh, I gotta decide. Do I wanna stay up drinking till 4 a.m. or do my homework? You know, these are like shedding other routines, but there's also now experimenting. I've got to learn to um, I've gotta learn to do my own laundry. I've got, do I wanna join this club? You know, do I wanna hang out with those people? Do I wanna dye my hair, whatever it might be? Um And then there's the final step, which is unveiling your new self. Now I'm emerging from this, right? Now I'm making my first resume and getting my first job. What did I say? The average life transition takes five years. How long does that process take? Almost exactly five years. Like it's a perfect embodiment of a life transition. And so what I would say to anybody going through it or children going through it is if you talk about it as a life transition, You will help to normalize this normal and valuable life experience so that the next time you or anybody else goes through it, you'll remember, oh, I've been through one. I went through the pandemic where I had to accept that the old life was not coming back, that I had to experiment with new ways of living, that I had to write my next new chapter. Anybody listening to us lived through that. That means you just went through one of the biggest life transitions you're likely to go through. You got through that. And if you take skills and confidence from that, you can perform better the next time you're going through a transition.
1: That was a perfect segue into, I know you've talked about this before. I've listened to, you know, all of your TED talks. And by the way, audience, we will link to those um, and um, Bruce's new book and Life in Transition book um, in the show notes. So take a look at those. But is is there a way to develop skills Bruce on how to um again i don't want to say get through because they're not all bad but to to handle these better both um mentally personally and from from a from a couple standpoint because like i said there's a lot of parents that listen to this this podcast and if you're going through something on your own that's one thing but if you're going through it with a spouse partner even your kids, that's completely different.
2: Yeah, I think that's the second hardest question I ever get asked. Um, And so let me answer that question, but I want to just, your question triggers a thought. I was at an event the other night of parents of college students and the topic was mental health, right? We all know that mental health challenges among teens have skyrocketed in recent years for a whole number of reasons. But the the talk was about mental health services at college campuses, and they said that, and I can't remember exactly the number, but it may not have been half, but but um, well, the, the number that was given was that 80% of people at this university went through the mental health service system in the course of their four years, but that a significant percentage of it went through it in order to help somebody else go through it. Like a roommate oh. or a friend was going through mental health challenges, and they wanted to be helpful. So, if you took at the look at the numbers we were talking about—three to five life quakes—they take you know three, four, five, six years. That's twenty-five years. That's half of our adult lives. We are in a life transition. That means if you live with someone else, you or someone you know or someone you love is probably in one right now. And so, I think a lot of um, a, a lot of the benefit, um, and I've seen this with the response to. Life is in the transitions that a lot of the benefit comes from uh, either if I'm not going through one, I want to help somebody else and I want to be better. So, when I said that was the second biggest question, I think the, the second hardest question. And the answer to the second hardest question is the way you phrased it. Yes, you can learn skills. Yes, you can normalize it. Yes, you can calm your. Heart rate down. If you just use the language, you're in a transition, and half the people you know are in one. I mean, this is where, as I watched my kids, it was quite actually tough in a lot of ways leading up to dropping them at school because of all the heightened anxiety and awareness. And I just kept saying, You're in a life transition, and so is everybody else. You know, they're going to a school that has 1,647 people. And I can't tell you the number of times over the summer I said, All 1,647 people are nervous about making new friends like everybody is in the same boat no one's going there and saying i have all the friends i'm going to have in my lifetime but everybody is in the same boat and so everybody is and even that is a sort of a calming thing so yes you can learn skills yes you can normalize it yes you can calm down by realizing what you're doing is a you know perfectly natural human experience and that in fact transitions are a pretty well-honed process for getting through that experience but it does lead to what I think is the hardest question.
1: I was, I, I was I hoping you were going to swing back to that.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, which is, can you make it go faster? And I don't think the answer to that is yes. Just because you get better doesn't I mean, I'll give you an example. So but does I it have, make I, sense for it to go faster? That's not, that, that's my point. Right. So we should, that's, that's, a, that's, 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 that's well put. We should just because it takes five years, that, that is not a problem that we should try to resolve with our contemporary obsession with getting it done now 24-7. Make that right. we're back to the 212 item to-do list. Yes. I'll give you an example. So what I was gonna say was so so I did all these interviews, um, uh, but I had a team of coders, mostly millennials and Xers, uh, excuse me, Zers. And one day we were sitting around my office here. And I said to them, so, um, is there something that you're noticing and reading and coding and analyzing these interviews that I didn't notice when I was doing them? And this kid raises his hand, um, in the, you know, in the front row or in front row in the seat, i I can actually see him, <clears throat> excuse me, sitting here in the chair as I talked to him and said, people move. So we went back and coded, and 60% of the people who go through um, a life transition move in some way. They change their office. They change where they live, okay? Even some of them start to exercise or things like that. This is something you're not going to do in a week, right? It is that there's something about the act of physically transforming your space that seems to emotionally allow people Transition phases. I mean, so I'm, um, you know, we're talking in some ways about, uh, you know, uh, you know, financial advice going through transitions. You know, e- even wealth management and inter- intergenerational, uh, you know, kind of money matters. Think about the college one. Somebody's moving out. <laughs> okay, and yeah. often. You know, if the kids are listening, you know, that, I mean, if you got four kids, I wouldn't be surprised if your what you call your plus one um, may want someone else's bedroom, you know, upon that happening. So th- there's a lot of movement and one of the, one of the, let's just say, if you try to do it in six months, your chances of doing all that in six months are zero Right <laughs> um, of acknowledging it. Dropping habits, experimenting. Now I'm. I mean, I mean, I'm one of the reasons I'm I'm sitting here talking to you. People can't see me, fortunately, is I, is I've just gotten off the uh, the Peloton uh, because I'm trying to. Now that I think about it, move more, (laughs) literally, physically, be more active, (laughs) right? As a process of getting myself in shape, um, as a process of myself. So yeah, I'm telling my. And in fact, I've been saying this to my wife all the time. Like, I don't think you're embracing the real freedom that we have now and how I think we should, you should, we should go even further in reimagining. That's what happens when you become aware that it's a transition. You're not freaked out by this. You're like, let's just jump into it.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting because um, man, I've got to, I gotta look this up on the fly because I had a great guest on, uh Vivia Wittenberg Cox. She was, and I'll I'll link this to the show notes, but she she a lot of her research when when she was at harvard was around the fact that parents don't know how great their life is about to get when their kids go off to college or you know go into adulthood i think going back to something that we've talked about on this is this these transitions we always think of or for the most part always but most part think about as fearful yeah there can be some really great silver linings like think about all the time that you like i'm spending right now taking my kids to swim practice to to football to you know after school activities the whole thing and then you get that time back and that's one of the things i always stress with with people that are you know 40 plus is to start thinking about what their second career could potentially be like you need to start thinking about that now so when the time comes, you're not flat footed. And I think if I if I come back to this this transition and tying it like to the emotional side that I I try to have these conversations with with families I work with on the well planning side is how do you how are you because when when the stress is high, it's not great to try to make big life or big yes. financial decisions. So can you? Well, the can date, you by the way, the data is very clear
2: on that. If you, if you are, and I, I write a newsletter called The Nonlinear Life that people can subscribe to at brucefiler.substack.com. Um, I lost my dad uh, six months after I started this newsletter, and I wrote a lot about how we navigate grief. And one of the interesting pieces that I wrote was based on this research that shows the one thing when, when you. You know, when you grieve, one of the things you do is you slow down, and that actually allows you to make better decisions. And the worst thing you can do when you're sad and when you're grieving is to make financial decisions because you'll try to use the spending of money uh, to make up for the sadness, you know, and the hole in your heart. And so the one thing you should not do uh, if you're really in the middle of grief is try to make major decisions. And of course, we know that there's entire industries of people that try to exploit um exploit yes. this process because they know people are 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 suffering and they they have a they have a gap in your life uh, in their life yeah i want to say look let's go back to the the three the three um stages of a life transition right there's the long goodbye there's the messy middle and there's the new beginning and the reason i want to go by is that everybody is good at one of those and bad at one of those like one of them is your superpower and one of them is your uh kryptonite right so maybe Maybe you're good at turning the page, like maybe that's your superpower, and then you get stuck in the messy middle. Or some people are good at the they like making lists. Back to my list, right? They like analyzing the options. Like people who are my guess is you're probably pretty good at the messy middle, right? But if you're good at one of those, you're going to be bad. Like if you're good at making lists and and plowing forward and saying I'm going to I'm going to you know um, uh, I'm going to analyze this, you still got to go through the long goodbye. You're still going to have to realize it's an emotional experience. And you're not on top of your game, but people, and, and I think we should acknowledge and embrace that. So, you know, where should you start in a life transition? Wherever you're best at, because it's going to be hard. So if you're, if you're, if you're good at at saying goodbye, then start with a bye, and then get yourself to the messy middle. If you're good at the messy middle, do that. And then double, double back later. So that brings us to what you were just talking about, about the empty nest syndrome, um, One thing to ask yourself is, when you're in a situation like, which one am I struggling with? And I will tell you, because I'm three weeks into it, um, that uh, the empty nest is a long goodbye problem. Uh, Because it's not, what's it going to do to my life? That's the problem, as you said. A, a, you know, if you you know, putting aside the financial burden, uh, and especially if you've planned, if you've used your service and you've planned, um, uh, you know, there may be fewer dollars, shekels in your pocket for a time. Um, so it's not the the new beginning. Like it's not like what is my life going to be? And it's certainly not their new beginning. Like you're happy for them to be launched. As it happens, as we have this conversation, my wife had her birthday yesterday. And her birthday present was that both of our daughters called from college and were happy two weeks in, you know? I mean, she was quite literally weeping, like, this is what we want. It is yeah. not a new beginning problem. It's a long goodbye problem. It's that that phase of my life, as exhausting as it was to take my kids to swimming practice or football practice, or in my case, ballet practice and theater, theater rehearsal, um, you know, it, it was, is that I enjoyed that in its own way, that I got meaning from that, that it gave me identity and purpose and belonging and cause and the three building blocks of what I call the ABCs of meaning. Like it gave me all that and that's not coming back. In my case, it was zero, you know, it was full house to empty empty nest, you know, in, in an afternoon, um, you're going to have a fair bit of that with your triplets. It's a long goodbye problem and it's understanding that Wow, for twenty years, this was the centerpiece of my life, and it's not the centerpiece of my life, and I'm sad because I enjoyed that in some way.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, like it, looking at the three of those. That's probably my kryptonite, the one that that, that I struggle with the most. But I think that yeah, it doesn't. What well, well, say,
2: well, say more about that? I mean, so what is it that you struggle with?
1: The, the long goodbye. I think that's yeah. the. I think that's the one. Like when you say, like, there's one you're good at. There's one you're probably okay at, then there's your kryptonite one, and yeah. you're know, looking at that. You you, you probably had me pegged pretty good there, Bruce. Like I'm probably pretty good at the messy middle.
2: I can see your shelf behind you. Uh, you're,
1: you're you're not messy. <laughs> <laughs> and and the new beginnings, you know, I I I try to embrace those, but it's those it's I think it's those long goodbyes that 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 really get me. But I, I think what I was where I was gonna say next is this all goes back to your point. And I can picture this Carl Richards sketch in my mind, where you think about the stock market and people just think of this linear trend, you know, yeah. up and to the right, you know, over a course of forty years. But then, like when you really hone in on it, it's a, an up and down roller coaster. If people can see, if people saw me talking with my hands right now, they they know what I'm talking about. Is that's I think that's exactly like what you really emphasized at the beginning of our conversation was that. This is non-linear. You don't know when these things are going to happen and how, how to, how can you best prepare for them?
2: What shape is your life? Oh,
1: shape like a a circle, square, triangle. Yeah,
2: Give me a shape that embodies your life.
1: Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's like a, that's a question for Teresa to answer for me. But so Teresa, my wife, most of my audience knows that You, 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 you probably didn't. Um, I'd say maybe like a circle. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> and, I th- and I think of Brian Portner's work too with the Geometry of Wealth where he has a circle, a square, and a triangle. <laughs> um, so
2: this was the question that, got, that drew me into this project is I started asking people, what shape is your life? And um, uh, excuse me, I'm going to cough here. <laughs> and if you'd asked me what shape is my life, I would have said some version of that um, uh, of that uh, stock market line you said, some sort of a line with various ups and downs or or, or squiggles or whatever it would have been. And so I was talking to someone um, who's actually a um, uh, he's an artist and a hairdresser and a really creative person. Um, grew up in New Jersey never went to college, moved to New York City um, and started this very creative life. Um, he's He had a husband and he's divorced. He's now in a relationship. And I said, what shape is your life, Michael? And he said, a heart. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I'm talking about like ups and, you know, like I want to know what shape is your life. You know, I, I don't want to, the shape of my life is a heart. And I said, no, you don't understand. He's like, no, Bruce, you don't understand. The most important thing in my life is love. It's the relationships uh In my life, and when i tried to, when I asked a bunch of people this question, the hardest thing I had to code and to figure out was people's different answers. So I mentioned this in passing, and I want to dig into this in a second, right So what is it that gives us meaning in our lives right so happiness is an emotion it's very fleeting it's passing, but meaning is what stitches together past, present, and future right it's you know meaning is how we 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 find well being even in times of unhappiness um And and what I learned in this process is that we have what I call the ABCs of meaning. The A is agency. That's what we do or make or create. For many of us, it's our work. It's the money that we make. It's the power that we wield. It's our influence. That's agency. The B is belonging. Belonging. The belonging is our relationships, our family, our loved ones, the people we go to a religious institution or we march in a political rally to, you know, or our or fellow sports fans or whatever. So the A is agency, the B is belonging, and the C is a cause. So the cause is a purpose. It's a higher calling. It's, it's, it's our way of giving back. I, I think of these in, in, um, in narrative terms, like your agency is your me story. Your belonging is your we story and your cause is your the story, okay? And it turns out that the people who say a line or some version of a a line, a road, a path, they tend to be agency people. We all have all three, but we have them in different proportions. But the people who say a heart, or in your case, a circle, they tend to be belonging people. They tend to be relationship people, okay? So it's interesting because I part of me thought you might say some sort of a line given your business. But in fact, we've talked more about your family than your business. And even your business is helping other family people, you know, manage their money for family. Like you're a B person. And the C person, it might be a light bulb. My wife helps entrepreneurs. Like it might be Boxing gloves, right? It's some sort of an object, okay, it might be lettuce if you're into organic farming or whatever it is and so what happens in the life transition so if I were to ask you i'm i'm gonna i i'm gonna I'm not gonna use a pencil I'm gonna write down what I think your answer is. if I give you a hundred points, divide it between what how much of your life is a, how much of your life is b, how much of your life is c um,
1: I'd say. Probably fifty B. Thirty four thirty five C and fifteen A.
2: Really? That's interesting, because I wrote down forty, forty, twenty for you. And so that so you said fifty B. Okay, that's the belonging. That's why you gave us a circle. Thirty-five C. That's interesting and only 15a even though you started a podcast which is a very agentic thing to do and you uh, you you run a business that's super that's super interesting. So what everybody you can do this yourself, you know, you don't need a you don't need a pencil. You can do it if you're driving or sleeping or working out or whatever you're doing as you're listening to us. But here's the key thing. In a life transition, we shift those numbers. Really? So maybe you, you're you a parent and you've been, you know, g- g- giving to your children and you say, well, now I'm an empty nester. I want to do more for myself. Right. Or maybe you've been working really hard and you lose your job and you say, I want to spend more time with my family. Right. Or maybe you've been, um, you know, working really hard and you say, you know what, I want to give back to my community, you know, join a board or fight, fight climate change or, you know, work on the neighborhood association. So what happens in a life transition is that we shape shift. We, it's a, it's a pause. And then go back to the pandemic, right? It, what it was, it was an external pause. We were all forced into pause and we all came out and we changed. I was the least surprised person in America. Great resignation, great relocation as people moved. All of these things, I don't want this job anymore. That's why I went and wrote the search because everybody was rethinking work, right? Today, right now, as we speak, 50 million people quit a job in the last year. 50 million people, that's a third of the workforce. And another third of the workforce said, I don't want to work five days a week. I don't want to commute. I want to bow. I want to be at home sometime. So we're in a period of, that's why we all feel like we're in transition because we are in transition. But maybe now this is, when you said, this is now, okay, this is interesting because you said at the top of this conversation that people think that they're all in too many transitions that you were wrong. And I didn't agree with you when you said that, but I now understand why I didn't agree with you. Because we're all in the same transition. <laughs> it just takes longer than we think. And we think yeah. it's a series of rolling transitions. And in fact, it's one big one. We're still, many of us, in the transition from the pandemic. We're still in that five-year window because we still haven't figured out how we want to parents changed, where we want to live has changed, You know where we want to work has changed. All of that is the same transition. It just feels like a series of micro ones.
1: Yeah. And I still, I don't know how many... I think I've lost count of how many times I've I've pulled this back to this to this point. Bruce is the linearity. I think yes. is not there, and I think Correct. that's what really frustrates people. I know it frustrates my family. I know I know Teresa, my wife, gets frustrated with me, and it, it, but I, I go back and I I link it back to that that stock market chart where there's you go up and then down and up and down and up and down, but over a long time frame, forty years. I think there's a strong correlation between your work and these life and transitions and what you could see in a in a in a stock market chart, if you will. well like, okay, so
2: I'm gonna just say a couple of things about that. Yes, it all goes back to line that. I said the three things I learned at the outset. number one, the linear life is dead. yes, number two, the nonlinear life involves more life transitions and number 3 transitions are a skill that we can and must master. So that is the basic it, it all comes back to linearity because linearity is the great lie. And, and and this and this goes back to this generational question that we coming back to which is that those of us who are 40 plus which is to say that those of us who grew up in the 20th century we are still haunted by the ghost of linearity because we have linear expectations mm-hmm but nonlinear lives. Problem is not the life, it's the expectations. Expectations. It's the should. We have to get off the should train. I should be doing this. I should be at this moment in my life. I should feel this way. The problem is the should. And we have to get off the should train and embrace the life that we're in. But what's interesting, Paul, is that people under 40 don't have that expectation. They have grown up in a nonlinear world and of course, the pandemic will now be a searing life experience for them. So there is what I call this transition gap between parents, older parents, and younger children. Right. So the the gap is expressed the following way: wait, 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 wait a minute, you're living together, and you 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 know you're not married. Like you're having a child, and you have not gotten married. Like, you've quit a job and you don't know what you're going to do next? Like, you're moving to a new town and you don't have a plan? Where is the plan, child, right? So, they are much used to it because in their life, people change religions, people change sexual orientations, people change belief systems, people change where they live. They have grown up in this nonlinear world, so it's much more normalized for them. That gets back to the job quitting, right? It's why millennials have a, in a lot of ways a healthier attitude toward work than their boomer parents because they are like, I'm not going to give up my happiness and well-being just for a job like you people did, right? Because when, you know, this when now we're talking about the search here, what, the, what that research that I did shows is that pe- the number one th- thing people learn from their parents about work is the value of working hard. Two-thirds of the people say it, like they consistently say it. But the number one downside they learned about work from their parents was number one, overwork. Number two, unhappiness. Number three, strain on the family. So that right there will tell you why we're in a massive work quake because people want to work hard, but they're not prepared to overwork. They're not prepared to put a strain on their family and they're not prepared to be unhappy. And they'll quit their job if they want because there's no more stigma against quitting their job. So all of that will show you. The, the people forty under forty are much more welcoming and embracing of change, and it's us old fogies who were learn how, learning how to adapt.
1: Well, I know I only have you for a finite period of time, and there was there's two questions I want to get to. One, of my closing question, but before that was I wanted you to talk about your new book, The Search, because I know that there are at least four or five people that are listening to this episode or will listen to this episode that 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 work that you do that book is geared towards them so i i wanted to see if you could uh you know expand on on that work that you did in in the book the search
2: yeah so the book is called the search finding meaningful work in a post-career world and it's about um Another set of lies that we have to move behind. And, and, and this way, the, the, the book is built around what I call three lies and the truth. Uh, lie number one is that you have a career. You don't have a career. The career is an artificial, artificial concept that was created in 1908 by a guy named Frank Parsons in Boston, who said that only once in your life, if you're a male in your early 20s, you're going to, you're going to pick, a, pick a, a vocation and you're going to do it for the next 40 years. Like, nothing has caused more human misery in life, okay? Because, you know, the, it's why the worst piece of advice in the workspace is follow your passion. That's why really oh, I hate nice. that. It, it, it describes almost nobody who is happy because your passions change. Yeah, circumstances evolve. Like most people, you know, find their passion, discover their passion or make their passion. They do not follow their passion and that's way too much pressure. So there is no career anymore. You can change your job uh, for whatever you want uh, for no other reason than you want to. And half the people who change jobs change vocation. So uh, line number one is you have a, a career. Line number two is you have a path. There is no path. The average person goes through 20 of what I call workquakes. So what is a workquake? It's a jolt, either voluntary or involuntary, where you choose to or are forced to rethink and reevaluate what it is that you do and how you spend your time. And here's the thing. Women go through them more than men. Xers more than boomers. Millennials more than Xers. And for sure, Zers, when we have enough data, will go through them more frequently than millennials. And the signature piece of data for this book, is that 45% of workquakes begin in the workplace. You have a conflict with your boss, you shut down, you get a better job offer, whatever it might be. But that means that the majority of workquakes, 55%, begin outside of the workplace, with your family, with a change of heart, with a health situation, with a pandemic, right? So it causes you to rethink and reimagine. And the upshot of this is 100 million people This year, that's tonight, that's tomorrow, that's this weekend, that's this next holiday season, whenever it might be, are going to sit down with someone that they love and say, honey, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. And I want to do something that makes me happier. And that gets to the one truth which is that only you can make that decision. Only you can write your own story. It's not living up to your parents' expectations. It's not living up to your spouse's expectations. It's not living up to what the culture says success should mean to you. It's defining success for you and only for you. And that's what's been missing in 50 years of career uh, thinking and writing is a toolkit for making that set of choices. And since we don't have much time, what I'll say is that the 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 bulk of the of the search is giving you a set of tools i call them 21 questions to find work you love to ask yourself to go through what i call a meaning audit like what is it that will bring me meaning right now not 6 months ago not 6 years ago or when i was 21 like it, it, am I going to prioritize making money? Am I going to prioritize giving back? Am I going to prioritize being home, being out indoors or outdoors? Am I going to prioritize myself or making money for my family or saving the future for my grandchildren? Whatever it is, what we don't have is how to determine what is it that will bring you meaning? What's the story you want to tell? And that's the backbone of what the search is about.
1: I could I could sit here all day with you and <laughs> have this conversation. But I, I will I will wrap up with with my closing question that I ask all my guests, especially parents. Which hopefully will be the hardest question that that anyone oh, ask you go. is, "What is the best thing about being a parent?" And in your case, the best thing about being a parent to a set of multiples.
2: Putting yourself—that's uh, not a hard question, actually. Um, uh, putting yourself out of business. Parenting is unlike anything that I can think of. And I wrote a book called The Secrets of Happy Families, and I wrote a column in the New York Times about families for a decade, and I have tried to think of something else that's like this, and I cannot. And what I mean is that when our children are born, they are entirely dependent on us. And our job is to make them entirely independent from us. And so our job is to put ourselves out of a job. Um, and that I think is a very challenging thing. It's emotionally wrenching. Um, I'm in it right now where I'm I, I am resisting the temptation, which is my temptation to wake up every day and send my children, you know, um, a a a long letter of advice because <laughs> I'm I like giving advice. I'm good at giving advice. Um because I don't want them to be dependent on me. I want to be them. I want them to be independent from me, um, and that's the hardest thing. And usually in life, the hardest thing is the best thing. So it's the best thing to see our children living independently, making decisions, overcoming diversity, um, coming back from their life quakes <laughs> with their life transitions, making the decisions that you know. The la- I thought all summer. About the last piece of advice I wanted to give to my children when I say goodbye to them, this is the, the opportunity and peril of being a writer. Like, you know, I wanted to have <laughs> the famous last words. Um, and what I settled on was this. Um, don't wait for it to come to you because it's not going to come to you. Go out and get it. And the single most gratifying thing after a very difficult summer leading up to this transition is that this is exactly what my kids are doing now, is they're going and getting it. They are doing the thing. <laughs> it's Every door is not going to open. Doors are going to slam. They're going to have difficult days. I mean, I said this every day. Not every day is going to be good. But if you go out there and you go get it and you make yourself vulnerable and you accept, accept the pain and work through... <laughs> the disruptors and the life quakes and all that are going to happen. You will get to write your own story. And that is the best part of it is having our children write their own story. That's not the story we want to write for them.
1: (laughs) I'm kind of speechless after that one. That, that will, that will live with me for, for a long time, Bruce. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. I know that you get inundated with requests uh, to do these. And I am very humbled and appreciative that that you chose um, chose us to, to share your story and your insights. For our audience, be sure to check out the show notes. We'll have links to Bruce's new book, The Search, Life in Transitions, which I highly recommend everybody read. And then Uh, several of his TED Talks as well, including a link to his website where all of his information lives. So uh, Bruce, uh, thank you again. And um, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation.
2: Me too. Thank you so much, Paul. Go get it, everybody.
1: There are so many great takeaways from this conversation with Bruce that I'm still not quite sure where to begin. But let me take a stab at, at giving two or three, I think that were my main takeaways. Number one was This term that Bruce defined, life quakes, what they are are really opportunities for growth and not problems. I think that's a mindset shift that we need to um, help get through, that these life quakes can lead to incredible personal development. The second point is, whether it's a career change, becoming an empty nester, or some other major life shift. Transitions are the solution to these life quakes. And as you recall, we talked about this uh, quite a bit. Life transitions or transitions in general have these three stages. The long goodbye, the ability to let go of the old, the messy middle, which I think for me is the most challenging part, navigating the uncertainty. And then the last stage, the new beginning, embracing embracing the fresh start. If we can... understand and and embrace these changes as we're going through these transitions, it helps us to develop a resiliency and a confidence that we're going to get to the other side of this thing. And finally, I think one of Bruce's major points, and I think he highlights this in his new book, um, The Search, um, The uh, Post-Career World, and I'll link show notes um, to both of his book's in, in the podcast episode, but I, I would really encourage you to grab one of his books, Life in the Transitions or The Search, especially if you're going through a career transition right now. But Bruce points out we need to stop thinking of our lives as being linear, a straight up like bottom left to top right. Each of us has our own unique shape of life. And again, you know this these transitions are not problems. They're opportunities for us to find meaningful work and a sense of purpose and finding out what truly matters to us.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast
0: or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional
1: Balance Sheet Podcast. That's all for this week. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.